0: More than half of high-growth companies struggle with the sales development process. If you want your sales team to have more at-bats with decision-makers at target accounts, talk to Inside
1: Sales Team, the sales development team experts at insidesalesteam.com. You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney
2: hello 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 everybody this is david delaney with another edition of the sales development podcast i'm really excited to get someone who i consider a good friend on the show who i've been meaning to get on the show for quite a while we finally could make it happen mr kyle morris the founder and ceo of sift data how are you doing today
0: i'm good thanks for having me on
2: all right awesome awesome thank you for making the time uh we were just talking before the show i wanted to thank Kyle for coming all the way down from Bend, Oregon to San Francisco for the Sales Development Conference a couple weeks ago. Thank you so much for coming to that. It was great to see you, and um, you know I'm excited to have a talk with you today.
0: Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was an awesome conference. Looking forward to next year, and uh, also more excited to talk to you today.
2: Yeah, this has been great, man. I mean, I, I first met you several years ago with uh, at Andrew McGuire's Sales Fight Club, which was yeah. like a precursor to the meetups and the the councils and everything that's going on. It was just a group of, of sales and sales development leaders who got together, ate pizza, and talked about the various challenges that we were having, which was awesome. And since then, you've gone on to start a company and move up to Bend, and, and you've been super successful so I want to talk about your background, give people a little bit of knowledge of how you went from, you know, starting out in Ranger school all the way to starting SIF Data. Give us a, the Kyle Morris Breakdown.
0: Yeah, definitely a different background than probably most folks have heard. So I grew up in a little town here in Oregon out of high school, uh, actually joined the military and went into the Rangers. So Rangers are a special operations unit. You probably hear them kind of equated to Navy SEALs or special forces and some other units like that. I got there in mid-2000s, right when things were getting pretty hairy and spent four years there. Went to Ranger school, did did the whole jam. Really, I wanted to... You know, pay for school because I didn't have a way of doing that. So I ended up finishing up in 07 and uh, went to the University of Oregon to study entrepreneurship. And my goal there was actually to work for a venture back startup. Like I that really appealed to me. I had somebody who studied entrepreneurship as well. So out of school, it was like 2010. So the height of the recession didn't have a whole lot of options. I actually took a job with a Fortune, 100, Fortune 500 company called Cintas, which you've probably seen their trucks driving around. And they're like the uniform people. So I was a management trainee doing sorting dirty laundry and helping run a warehouse. So it was pretty miserable. And about 30 days in, I put my two-week notice in because that was not going to be a good fit for me. And I ended up getting a job with a company called Gigia out of Mountain View. And this is back when Gigia was about 40 employees, probably 20 in Israel, 20 in the U.S. And they actually just got acquired a couple weeks ago by SAP. So it's kind of exciting times uh, on that front. But back then there were, you know, 40 people. They'd taken on about $20 million in funding and had just pivoted from selling social widgets to they were doing social logins. So if you've been to any website and. Uh, logged in with Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. They were powering that across the majority of major websites on the internet. And so, I saw the title was business development. They kind of sold me on that because it sounded like I was going to be talking partnerships. I was going to have this kind of cool job. And the people that I would worked with were like, I think you're going into sales, man. And so I didn't really anticipate that that's what it was. I kept saying, no, it's business development. It's like partnerships. It's not about that. Turns out I was completely wrong. My job was to uh, set meetings for the AEs. And Giggy had a really interesting business model or at least sales model where we were going with two BDRs or SDRs to every single AE, and your quota was seven to ten meetings a week. So as an AE, you could imagine getting twenty new demos in a given week. Obviously, the company was pretty new, so we were trying to build brand awareness. But yeah, AEs were slammed with meetings, and we kept that ratio for several years, and it really helped us differentiate in terms of, you know, setting meetings and, and trying to scale the company. So started out as an SDR. I was pretty average. I brought some things that people hadn't heard of. My wife had worked in the tech space for a while, and she kind of taught me about this is how you find people's email addresses. These are some tools to find some, some information, blah, blah, blah. So she helped me get a little leg up, and I shared that with the team. And I found that I really liked doing that. I liked sharing, coaching, and mentoring new folks that came on. And so I took over managing the team after about six, seven months. And then over two years, Gigi took on about $70, 80000000 million in funding, and we had to scale from seven reps when I first took over up to about 70, 75. So it was a hyper growth mode, really challenging time, but I learned a ton about that. And then after that, I transitioned into running business operations there. So I was responsible for managing the hub of Salesforce across marketing, sales, finance, customer service, et cetera, all within the organization and trying to scale and make things more efficient. And so uh, I did that for a few years and then transitioned out to running my own thing. I uh, went on paternity leave to see if I really wanted to be my own boss for a couple of months. And I liked it enough to, to take the leap out kind of like you did.
2: Amazing. So full circle all the way back to your University of Oregon training, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's exactly it. I mean, it's funny, one of the classes that I took that I really stuck with me was it was literally entrepreneurship 101. And we uh, had the classes really focused around how to come up with a business idea. And so they had us keep a journal of, you know, every day you had to write down one new business idea. And it was hard to do. But uh, what what they really told us to do was just think of things that suck. Just think of something in your day that sucks. And I was like, traffic sucks. There's got to be a way to fix that. Parking sucks. There's got to be a way to fix that. And then ultimately, you know, why I ended up starting CIF data was like the research portion of being an SDR isn't something that requires necessarily a ton of skill and it kind of sucks. And so, you know, the clicking around on LinkedIn and searching for this or that, that's just something you should be able to automate. And so I just thought of things that suck, things you can automate it shouldn't be manual because SDR is salespeople. They have so many more important things to do than be digging around doing research. And, and I remember, you know, one of the frustrations I had as a manager was that at least half the time I'd be talking to SDRs. I was like, what's your goal for today? And they're like, Oh, it's a research day. I got to do a lot of research. I got to prep, blah, blah, blah. And it always felt like that was something that could be fixed. So I know I'm getting into like the SIF data stuff, entrepreneurship, but the idea being that with entrepreneurship, Really, the goal is just think of something that sucks because there's got to be a solution to it. And if you can figure out what that solution is and people are down to give you money for it, you're you're set.
2: You're good to go. And and I've heard, you know, you look at a problem and you mm-hmm. go from the problem perspective, which is another way to say what sucks. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah, a yeah. problem. And then the other key is how many people have that problem, right? Because if it's yeah. only five people, <laughs> yeah. then your business is not going to be. But if you can come on – onto something that's like a billion people all have the problem, then now you're talking, right?
0: Yeah, I guess that's Entrepreneurship (laughs) 102 is where they tell you that part. The first part is like, just think of things that suck. But I mean, even with your business, you know, it's really hard to train and bring on SDRs and keep them motivated and see success there. And so people are hiring folks like you to help them do that. You know, there's so many tools out there like that help you automate processes because You know, the idea comes from you struggling yourself, hearing other people complain about it and realizing, hey, there's enough of us that someone would be down to pay for this and it could be a significant business. So I think that that's really how all successful businesses start is people just realizing that I'm not the only one facing this problem and it can be automated.
2: Yeah, it's amazing because if you're in the organization, you heads down, you've got your KPIs, you're trying to get the... You know the reports ready and do your powerpoints, especially if you're in middle management. It's all Excel and powerpoints and, yeah. and justifying your existence. And you're 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 so deep in the weeds that it's really refreshing to come along and and have somebody come in and say, you know, oh, you know, here's a new perspective. Here's a yeah. new way of thinking of things. Have you thought about this? Because it's it kind of breaks you out of it. I think people are very resistant to. Having somebody else come in because they feel like you might uh, expose something.
0: Yeah. No, you know? no. It's I mean it's scary to have people when, – when you own a little piece of the company, like let's say you're a manager of the SCR team, and people are coming in trying to shine a light on what you're doing – you know only to really improve it not necessarily to throw you under the bus but it doesn't necessarily feel that way and so it's similar to you know how SDRs oftentimes feel micromanaged because their manager is how many calls did you make today how many connections what's the ratio of this to that like what's your response rate you know it feels like people are up in your business but it's for a good reason They're, they they want to see you succeed they want to see you do better and they want to understand what's not working so they can share that across the team and i think you know as, if you're middle management or even an individual contributor, it's easy just to be focused on what your problems are and not realize how many other issues other folks are having. And that's why I think, you know, that Fight Club was so fantastic as we are meeting with a lot of other middle managers, directors, and even executives that were running these SDR uh, sales teams, and we were sharing problems that we had. And it was great to hear, oh, you have that exact same problem. How do we deal with this? Because it's so easy to be... To get into groupthink mentality, where everyone in the company is kind of inbred to one way of thinking, and to get outside and hear, oh, Box has this really fantastic way of designing territories. Wow, never thought of that. It is it's really refreshing to to share that. So I think for any folks that are listening that are looking to uh, improve their skill set or just you know prepare for the next level, I think networking is one of the best ways to do it. To talk to other peers in in similar roles.
2: Oh, for sure. And and you know that that format that we had at fight club was awesome i mean the mm-hmm. way that the way that andrew you know put that group together it, it was kind of like we would kick off with uh, someone doing a presentation about some problem that they had had and how they had solved it. And then we'd kind mm-hmm. of go around the table and, you know, we were having beers because it was yeah. like six o'clock and <laughs> we were eating pizza, right? And, and you, yeah. you could kind of, you could kind of vent a little bit with people yeah. that really understood what you were going through. And I've got some great ideas from that forum.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the key things was there was like no vendor pitches allowed. So the presentation was never like, hey, my, my tool solves this problem. Do you guys want to check it out? It was very much. This is what my company does. This is the problem we are facing. And this is how we solved it. And it generally, we tried to shy away from people plugging their own product. And that's what made it such a good place because people were open to share their ideas. I remember Erwin was at Okta Erwin Kai was at Okta and he was talking about how he was prepping for a conference and uh, He wanted to try to set a bunch of meetings and this was prior to This was a while back and what he would do was he would add like 500 people to a Google invite but make the list uh, (laughs) Invisible and so what it would do is like everyone when they get something on their calendar responds to it whether yes Or no, and so he would hide all the people and send the invite out 50 people would say yes. And then he'd respond by saying like, oh, that time doesn't work. Can we move to another time? And all the no's he'd say, oh, it looks like that doesn't work. What's another time that works for you? And like little things like that. I don't know that I ended up using that at Gigia, but it was like interesting to hear other people thinking of unique ways of solving problems of I've got a conference to go to. I can't figure out how to get through to people. This is one way to do it. And so I don't know, it just kind of got the gears turning for sure. Inside Sales Team fully integrates with clients. CEO of DiscoverOrg, Henry Shutt, partnered with us, and we've generated over 25 million in new business revenue. They are firing on every best practice for running a sales development team. Learn more at InsideSalesTeam.com.
2: It uh, totally did, and and there there was um, and you know just. Last quick thing about this, and this is this is helpful, you know, for people who want to put together something like this, is you made friends. I mean, you yeah. and I became friends there. I met. I remember Erwin was awesome. I mean, yeah, he, he eventually went over to OpenDNS. I, I don't know yep. if he's still there, but he is a great guy. Andrew was awesome. Uh, I met Ray Carroll there. You know, all these people. Who we're still in contact with that that we met that you can't you, you you can get tons of tactics and stuff off of online and following blogs and Twitter and stuff. I mean, it's there's a flood of information, yeah. but there's something about you know sitting in a room and having a beer and a piece of pizza and someone talking about how they did something and it worked and it was awesome and that you should try it type of thing. I remember
0: that. I remember when he he went through that, and that was like five,
2: <laughs> five years ago.
0: Yeah. It's it was amazing. a while back, but no, I, it's it's great to hear other people that are in the trenches just like you because you assume you're kind of on an island on your own struggling. But in reality, everyone's in the same boat. You just can't ever see them. And so, you know, getting into those tactical or strategic challenges and, and hashing those things out, it's, it's kind of nice to also think about things from, through the lens of a different business of like, hey, you guys don't do things like us. So the way I did it won't work. Let's think of something that could work better for you. And so, I don't know, it's uh, it's always nice to be challenged in that way. And I really, I always dug those things. I always like going to them. And I mean, yeah, that's how I ended up meeting Andrew. And we've been good friends for a long time. And uh, a bunch of other folks, J. Ryan, folks like that. So it's been, uh, yep. it was definitely super valuable time.
2: It was great. And it's funny because you mentioned that because I think we also get in like an echo chamber of yeah. B2B SaaS sales. And this is how everyone's doing it. And we're all doing it the same, but it may also be valuable to go to some meetup that's about, you know, B2C or, Mm -hmm. you know, Cintas, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) uniform (laughs)
1: sales,
2: (laughs) 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 but, you know, going to something that's like completely out of your thing and seeing how they're doing it and going, whoa, wait a minute. Like that's a little edge that I could bring back to my team that we're not really thinking about.
0: Yeah, there's this group of other founders of companies here in Bend. So up in Bend, it's a smaller town. It's you know 80,000, 90,000 people. And there's actually a surprising amount of folks who've transplanted from places like the Bay Area. Uh, there's a huge portion of people that have started their own company just because there aren't enough companies to go work at here. So people kind of have to bring their own job. And so I've got a good group of founders that I meet with here pretty regularly. Every, every month we have a whiskey night where we go grab some old fashions and kind of talk shop. But the businesses range. They're so different. And it's actually really nice to to explain, this is my business and my problem. And they bring a completely different perspective. And so you're right, getting out of the echo chamber, there's like no, there's only one or two B2B SaaS founders out of like the 15 that show up. So it's really different perspectives. And it's kind of like, you know, when you hire SDRs, you don't just want to hire athletes who got a marketing or business degree you want to also hire philosophy majors and people with different perspectives cuz they're going to come up with unique ways that you know your business manager or business uh, degree folks aren't necessarily going to think of in a good way and a bad way at times but yeah it's it's uh it's nice to to get different perspectives
2: it's nice to mix it up and and going back to when you're the SDR manager or you're running an SDR team and you, you've got your head head down trying to make those numbers, there's also the the ego part of it in that if someone says, Hey, we're going to outsource a portion or we want to bring in some consultants or we're going yeah. to put, put this technology in. And I admit, I'm going to admit, I, I got caught up in that because I was like, this is my program. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it. Now yeah. you're bringing in these ideas. Like, I really kick myself for being so egotistical about yeah. my program because you lose a lot of good ideas, I think.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's nice that you care about it too, right? Like it's, I think of you as like, you are the CEO of a tiny portion of the company and it's awesome to have people that are managing those teams that care so much that they're They want to see it succeed in their way. That said, like you obviously have to be open to feedback and new ways of doing things. I remember a challenge we had at GIGU was that we could only scale so quickly in the Bay Area because everybody's competing over SDRs. It was a really hard thing to do. And so we ended up opening a Phoenix office and I show up one day and they're like, hey, we're opening up a Phoenix office and we're going to hire 20 to 30 SDRs and they kind of report to you and they kind of don't. And I was like, well, I'm the director of lead gen, so they kind of have to report to me well, they kind of report to the dude in Phoenix that runs a blah, blah, blah. And so it ended up creating a lot of tension because like, I kind of wanted to own that. I felt like it was my responsibility, but the company needed, you know, to be able to scale. And it was not reasonable for me to be able to do all those things. And so it's easy to fall into the trap of like, I own this, no one else gets to touch it when it's, it can be helpful to be open to new ideas and and trusting other people. But I mean, very few people have been through these scenarios so it's uh it's hard to know the right path all the time and so you got to kind of do the best with what you've got
2: yeah you're making it up as you go along and hopefully yeah. you have some kind of collaborative uh you know group of peers like we had at the fight club where you can go mm-hmm. and talk to or you can call it, call up a friend and talk to them mm-hmm. about it yeah and and you know i i would say to executives on the phone you know the different people have different uh ways of of processing information and 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 strategic changes that you make and mm-hmm. and you might think that it makes perfect sense of what you're yeah. doing like we're hiring a guy in phoenix and you're here you're still in charge but there the guy in phoenix is also that makes perfect sense to me yeah but how yeah. is it going to affect kyle when you yeah. give him that information you know it could be you're like yes, sir. Or
0: like, <laughs> Fuck, what you know, Yeah, so. you know, I've got this belief that every not everybody, almost every point of frustration, almost in life or fight really comes down to misaligned expectations. And the story I use on that is like, so I, when I lived in the Bay Area, before I was married to my wife, she lived up in the city, and I lived in the South Bay. And, you know, we'd see each other on the weekends or when we could. And so every evening, we would jump catch on the catch up on the phone. And for me, 20 minutes was more than enough. You know, I'm a a guy, I don't want to talk for more than 20 minutes on the phone. My wife wanted to talk for 40 plus minutes every night. So if we talked for 30 minutes, we were both frustrated. And so we had these just misaligned expectations. She thought 40 minutes was the minimum. I thought 20 was the maximum. So 30 is like, even though it's a compromise, it's both frustrating because we didn't get those expectations aligned. Once we you know, had communicated about those things, it, it made sense. Like I understand why she's frustrated about 30 minutes, and she understands why I'm frustrated about 30 minutes. But if you don't have those conversations, everyone's going to be frustrated. And so I think that's why communication is so important as a manager, as an executive, as a company, is making sure that people at least know where you're coming from and why you're making the decisions that you are. Because it's so easy as a rep – Or an individual contributor to say this was a bad idea and not really think about why did they make that decision because managers don't want to make bad decisions executives don't want to make bad decisions they're doing the best that they can but if you don't communicate it's easy to take it as they just made a decision to help them to make their lives easier without considering us, when in reality they may have totally considered you, but they may be, have be limited on options. So that's kind of the story I use to, to throw my wife under the bus on how much she wants to talk about. So. <laughs>
2: that's true. Uh, misaligned expectations and, and not communicating. I think people tend to get stuck in their heads, and they mm-hmm. just they just end up assuming that the other person understands what the expectations are.
0: Yeah. It, right? Yeah. And if you've been thinking about a problem for weeks or months, it totally makes sense to you. But the person who's just hearing it for the first time at in all hands might be completely confused as like the context of why decisions were made because you're not sharing all the information. And you've literally been thinking about it for hours and hours and hours about your options. So, yeah, it's uh, it's easy as a manager just to assume people are going to get it. And I've never heard of anyone having a problem when they over communicated something. It's always the latter or the opposite where they under communicate.
2: Over communicate your expectations. I love that. And and you know the other thing I had written down here that I really wanted to talk with you about is self management because mm-hmm. we're both we're both starting companies and yeah. you go from where there's super high expectations from this hierarchy to now it's self management and whether yeah. you're an SDR or you know the chairman of the board of GM you have to self manage at all times, right? And and mm-hmm. so. When you look back, you've done a tremendous job of self-managing. Was did that come from your ranger training, or have you built that up as you've built up your career?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I don't see myself as a particularly disciplined person. I need frameworks and things that force me to get things done. Compared to a lot of folks, some people would consider me disciplined. Like I try to eat right and I exercise a lot, and I I try to do those things. And for some folks, those are hard. But you know, the time in the military, I I have to say, has to apply in some sense. Like, you know, when you're used to waking up at five in the morning and doing these brutal workouts and going through really tough deployments and things like that, it makes you a naturally more disciplined person in a lot of ways and undisciplined in others. But I think what helped was that I always had this idea that, uh, you know, if I just work hard and keep putting in the effort every single day, it's going to work out in the end. So even though I may not be the top performer in any one given day, the consistent you know, work ethic is going to pay off down the road. And so that probably definitely that comes from my time in the military. But also, you know, when I first started Gigi, I had no idea what I was doing. I probably wasn't the top performer by any means. It just a lot of it is like learned. And and I don't know, there's some internal pressure to work hard. But, you know, as a founder, I don't have a boss, like, I guess my mortgage is my boss, or my wife is my (laughs) boss, when I want to take a day off to go skiing. But, you know, if I if I set a quota and I don't hit it, that's kind of on me. You know, No one's really going to look over my shoulder or say anything. And so it can be a double-edged sword because you you have to be disciplined and push yourself. But at the same time, as a founder, it gives you the freedom to change directions if you feel like something isn't right. So if I set my quota personally, like I want to close X amount of dollars this quarter, and then I realize, you know what? I'm focusing in the wrong areas. I need to improve in this other area. You have that flexibility. So it can be double-edged to where, Hey, you're, you you've missed quota for a couple quarters in a row because you keep shifting priorities, but it also gives you that flexibility where, you know, if you're an SDR, your goal is to set these meetings and hit, have them hit 50% and you can't really deviate from that. So I really enjoy the the openness and flexibility, but for some folks, it's just not the right fit. And so, you know, it's uh, it's not definitely not for everybody.
2: Yeah, I would think, you know, it, it's easy to let yourself off the hook, you know, yeah. if, if you don't have someone breathing down your neck. And yeah. So you have to become the person breathing down your neck, which yeah. is hard. It's hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it it's it's very easy to be like, oh, the weather's nice. I'm gonna go mountain biking with my buddies and it's two <laughs> o'clock on a Tuesday. You know, it's easy to do those things, but you've also got to give yourself the the ability to sometimes miss. Like no you're not perfect. Like they're if you know you're doing the right things and uh, you're working hard, they're going to work out in the end. But you've also got to give yourself that ability to take a break because people don't think about it as a founder. Yeah, you've, you've got to set your own goals and, and be disciplined. But you're also going to be working way more than a lot of other people. You're working nights. You're waking up early. Like people don't necessarily see those things. They just assume it's sexy because I got to go skiing on Thursday last year. But it's, it's a tough job for sure.
2: Yeah, and you're you're on basically 24-7 because you're chasing – I mean – you know, for lack of a better term, you're chasing the, the dollar. I mean, you're chasing the next contract and you're ch- chasing yeah. the next deal and that's, what's going to uh, keep the lights on. So if, if it takes, you know, 24 hour effort to go yeah. get that, then you, you you can't clock out at five. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, re-
0: yeah, I remember uh, a couple nights ago, my phone rang at like five in the morning and I answered it and my wife was like, what are you doing? I was like, <laughs> This could be a deal. I don't know. I gotta. You never know. Or if there's a someone on my site chats me through Drift or whatever, like I'm gonna answer that as soon as I can because who knows? And it's not like I can rely on someone else to get this done. So yeah, it's it's scary to have all that pressure on you, but it's also liberating to know that it is all on you. You can't. There's no excuses to blame anyone else. It's it's you. You either did it or you didn't.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's so funny because I I had Drift too on my site, and they have a they have an I watch app oh, so nice. it's literally like you can't <laughs> there's no way that you could miss this yeah. you get it on your watch for god's sakes and i at first when i put it on there i didn't have it set to you know somewhat sane business hours it was just 24 so 7s yeah i was getting all these pings you know from from india at, at, at like two in the
0: morning and yeah. responding to them yeah because <laughs> i thought maybe it was a deal so. yeah and people would call that discipline but it's also like desperation when you're first starting a business and you have no, no, no money coming in, like I'll do whatever I've got to do. And so people call that discipline. I just think it's, I'm trying to do something because I've got a mortgage to pay. I got a kid to feed like their priorities. And so I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's fun.
2: Yeah. It, it's funny. I mean, we could do a whole show on the bootstrap lifestyle because yeah. I, I think that, that we both have, have, um, embraced, you know, the bootstrap lifestyle. I I don't want to get any investment from anybody else. I want to be able to have control over it. And maybe that's my mm-hmm. ego coming in yeah. to play again. But at this point right now, I'd like to to fund it out of cash. So this is something that we
0: could probably talk about forever. Right? Forever. Yeah. yeah. It's um, yeah. Everyone's got different perspectives. And so it's uh, kind of like raising a kid. You, you got to do what's right for you. And so if your business is a big scaling one, and you're going up against IBM, you probably got to take on a bunch of funding. If you're going to Solve a really specific problem for very specific businesses. You could probably get away with bootstrapping. So it's uh, you got to do what's right.
2: Yeah. Well, this is interesting because I like I like how your your perspective was that you found a problem, you mm-hmm. know, that people have, and and we know in the sales development world that the research is just a killer. Yeah. Killer. And and today they they announced that uh, LinkedIn is integrating with all of our our all the the uh, Cadence products and everything and there's all these integrations going on and and so that you can get the data discover org and the data high quality data vendors are doing really really well Mm -hmm. because this research but you still have to do the research so when you saw that problem how did that problem go from okay this is a problem to here's sift data that can help to solve that in some way
0: yeah so i you know when I was managing this the sales development team, I would hear my reps saying, I've got to do research. And I, at least 50% of their time was spent doing research. And that's probably me being a bad manager to, to manage against that. But uh, also as an SDR myself, I I was always trying to hit quota and at Gigit, we were selling to companies over 50 million in revenue, which you know there's only so many, and you have to set 10 new meetings a week, which is a really tough target to hit. So I was looking for shortcuts. And what I did is I started reaching out to former customers, meaning, Someone had bought our product at Nike, they moved to Gatorade, I'm going to call them up on their first day, and it felt like a no brainer. Like, you've already bought our product, you're the most qualified person possible, because you already put pen to paper, it seems like it's an obvious sell, like there's not going to be any pushback. And it worked, like I was able to set lots of meetings that way. Then I moved into managing the team. And I would start to encourage folks to do this because as a manager, I had a bigger quota to hit. So I was really trying to grease the skids there. Then when I transitioned to business operations, I heard our head of uh, customer success complaining that the number one reason for churn was that our champions would leave and we didn't know about it till the, the new one came in and just ripped our product out. And that was another research problem because our account managers just didn't have the time to go dig around on LinkedIn in a given week or month to make sure all their contacts were still there. So when I started hearing those two data points, I was like, wow, this is a, this is a problem that could be solved. And it's all being solved manually through research. So I was like, okay, SIF data could be a way to integrate LinkedIn and Salesforce to surface those job changes up. So as I was looking to leave Gigia and, and do my own thing, I started prototyping out and, and you know, building ideas. And I was able to build, you know, a minimum viable product. And I got lucky and got intro from Jay Ryan to a company. J.Ryan I met at the fight club who's like, they've got this exact same problem. And he introd me and they were down to move forward right away. And so that to me was huge validation that one, it wasn't just a problem I was facing. Everybody's facing it. And so, you know, we went through that we made some iterations. And then uh, back in February, we came out of beta and, you know, I was able to knock down some clients right away. And it's, it's one really satisfying is a, A founder of a company, I coded the whole thing myself to see other people buying it and adopting it and getting value out of it. So the problem really stemmed from me being an SDR and knowing how hard that job is and looking for shortcuts, being a manager, knowing how hard that job is, looking for shortcuts, and then running operations and thinking holistically as a business, what are your key priorities? For any real B2B company, you're looking for I want to generate more pipeline, I want to close deals faster, and I want to cut down on churn. And so I got lucky that I hit a sweet spot that kind of solved all three of those things.
2: That's amazing, and there's a few so there's a few notes that I took on that. One is that you you needed you, you started from a problem perspective mm-hmm. what, what's what sucks for me and, yeah and but you also had a breadth of experience that you had to bring because I think a lot of people are out there they're like, "What kind of company should I start? What should yeah. I get behind?" But, mm-hmm. but they don't have any experience as a you know person who this might potentially solve a problem for, yeah. so that they, they get kind of lost there.
0: Yeah, and I don't think that Kyle Morris, straight out of Entrepreneurship 101, could have considered this problem. There's no way I could know about it. And so I think that it's important for folks, I don't think paying your dues is the right thing, right way to think of it, but be in a role and understand what the problems are. And that's going to open up ideas because every SDR, every A complains about management sucks because they keep doing this or this is a problem. Like Everyone runs into problems in every single job that you can ever have. Uh, there's no no role that's immune to that. And so if you just take look, if I'm good at this role and I can see the problems that they're facing, I can make life easier for other people in this role. You can find a problem and you can find a solution to it. It might be important or it might be not important, but productivity is a hugely valuable thing to drive for companies. I mean, if you can take a rep and they're close at 100k a quarter and you can make them close 200k a quarter with some solution that you've got, companies are going to throw a lot of money at you to be able to do that. And so the the challenge for any person you know, in a individual contributor role, or even considering starting their own company, is you know identify what is really hard or tedious or challenging about your role and what could realistically be done to solve solve this. And a limit that ends up coming up is people who tend to be folks on the sales side don't have any technical skills generally. Like there are obviously salespeople who can be technical, but most of them don't know how to write a line of code. and the people who tend to be great developers, have no concept of what it's like to sell a B2B product like if they would be just as much a fish out of water as a salesperson trying to be a developer and so if you can learn that other skill and speak both languages I think that it's a huge advantage because once I learned look I know how to develop this program that can solve this problem I can code it myself it just opened up the world like all of a sudden anything was possible and so that was one thing that helped me in my career is learning to code. It took a long time. It was tedious, but for me, it's been hugely valuable. It's again, definitely not for everybody, but that opened up a lot of things for me.
2: It opens up a whole new world for you that, 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 that's, you know, stimulates all these different opportunities and and creative thoughts and things like that. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Cause as a salesperson, you, you, you just know that developer, the the engineering teams behind, they're not developing the product as quickly as you want. It doesn't do what you want. But they never think to say, how could it be solved? Could I do it myself? Like, what would it take to build that feature? And once you understand what goes into that, one, you're gonna empathize a lot more with the engineering team, but two, it gives you the ability to build it yourself. Like I, so a problem I was running into was just last week. I, so I'm sending manual emails to targets. And uh, you know, if you use Serious or Yesware, you can track if they click on a link, you could cookie that user if they come back. But oftentimes I'm emailing people and they don't click on a link. And I want to know if they come to my website. I want to know if that goes into Salesforce. So I started thinking of how can I build a Chrome extension that will insert a pixel so that I can cookie users and do this. And it was it was fun to think of that problem and how to solve it. Turns out you can't actually do it. Gmail doesn't allow that to happen. But <laughs> it was fun to have that discovery and, and play around with it and try to hack something together even though it didn't work. But yeah, because-
2: I know it's satisfying could be so meaningful for your business if you can figure out just one little thing like that. I mean, you know, yeah. to open up new opportunities. There's a, there's a couple of things, you know, one that you you've mentioned a few times in that you started with the problem that you were having, you really understood it. And from an from an SDR perspective, a lot of times the the training that they get when they come in, it's all about the product that yep. they're selling and mm-hmm. they it seems like they don't spend a lot of time thinking about who are they actually talking to, the human beings that have the problem? And then, you know, getting more intimate uh, knowledge about how their product solves those problems. It's just like, this is what our product does. Do you want to have a
0: meeting? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, I totally agree with you. And I remember when we would onboard people, we spent a lot of time, not just on what product is, but, you know, the SDR definitely needs to understand what the company does and why we're doing it. But the different personas that you're going to be talking talking to, and what what are their KPIs? So I try to think of it that way when I'm selling to folks. So, you know, if you're selling to marketers, I always use Nike as an example. So the CEO of Nike wants to drive more revenue and sell more shoes and do something else crazy. He kicks down to his VP of marketing to say, drive me more brand awareness, and then that person goes down to their director and says, I want more social awareness. Other director, I want more other awareness, and so if you're talking to the person down at the associate level about driving brand awareness, they don't necessarily care about that. That's not their, that's not their job. That's not their KPI. And if you talk to the, you know, the CEO about how we can improve your pay per click throughput rate or something like that, they're not going to care either. You've got to speak to people in the language one that they use and two in the, in what their KPIs are. And so we spent a lot of time really getting, trying to get through to our reps about you need to understand the buying personas. And what they care about day to day so that you can craft messaging that applies to them. Because if you have the right person and the right company, but you've got the wrong message because you're just sending it to the wrong level, it's a waste, even if it's exactly the right person and exactly the right company. So understanding what people care about, it took a lot of training to get that through, but I felt like it really helped uh, them be more effective.
2: Well yeah and, and I'll give you an example like if you read on LinkedIn or something cold calling is dead and cold mm-hmm. emailing is dead and nobody responds anymore that's that's not true the the thing is I'll give you an example I when I was doing the conference I was way out of my comfort zone I there was a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that I didn't know and I didn't know that I needed and pain points that I had and yeah. and I I every once in a while I would get a cold call or or a cold email that talked about that and, yeah. and gave me some value. And, and I, I replied, I, I probably did like t- three or four deals on the conference because of cold calling and cold emailing, because I had that problem. Someone came
0: along and understood it and could help me. Absolutely. And right. if you happen to have a big team of 10 people running this conference and someone comes to you and says, Hey, your napkins are probably going to be the wrong kind. You don't care about that. You've got another person delegated to do that. Or if that person cut, co- or let's say you had an associate that gets contacted by the vendor saying hey this is how we help you pick the right place to run the conference they don't have insight into that you do so it's like you got to talk to the right person with the right message and yeah the challenge you had was running a conference for the first time so you're kind of an open book and that was a great really, target yeah perfect target <laughs> and so <laughs> those are those are definitely few and far between but uh, i can totally understand why vendors would have gotten through because they know if they're well trained what it's like to run a conference and the pitfalls. And if they can identify those blind spots for you and generate value just by doing a call, they're definitely going to have your attention.
2: Right. And, and then at the same time, I, I get a lot of solicitations for like lead lists and mm-hmm. get the list and here's the list of this and that. And the, I, I, can't like, I can't do anything with that right now. And it's it's nothing against the, yeah, it's nothing against the SDR at all. I mean, they're probably great guys. They did a great job getting back to me, but it's just like, I don't, I, it's not you, man. It's me. I I don't have anything like that right now. Right. So, you know, you you get, I think people take it kind of personally that Mm -hmm. no one's getting back to them, but it could just be, you got to peel it back. Like what you were saying about what is the persona? What are their KPIs? What are they doing right now? Yeah. Stuff like that.
0: So, yeah. And it can be frustrating too. When you're like, I've got exactly the right person. I've got the most interesting thing that they care about that definitely applies their KPIs and they just blow you off or say, no, thanks. And it's, it's uh one, it's really motivating to me. Like, I've got to figure out how to get this back. It's kind of like if you play basketball and someone steals a ball, you get really aggressive trying to get it back. Like that's how I kind of feel when, when someone really shoots me down, it really motivates me to figure out, okay, how do I overcome this objection? Cause it's not insurmountable they said no but there can be ways to, to get around that but
2: yeah because you 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 know it's funny cuz i when you when you said that i i think of pursuit of happiness and mm-hmm. you know will smith was yeah. playing the guy i don't know what his name is but he had a big why he he was living in the bart station sure. you know with yeah. his son and it's just like dude i got to do this you know yeah. for myself and he knew that he had the right solution for the guy in that hiring him so he went to yeah. his house You know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you don't want to go that crazy, but it's like, (laughs) but, you know, to some extent you have to have that hootspa as a sales Mm -hmm. development rep to be successful. And to your point, you've got to believe it in your bones that you can actually help this person. Yeah. And, uh, but it's a fine line because you also don't want to get a restraining order.
0: Sure. (laughs) So, You know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, a guy that I used to work with for a long time and a really good sales guy. And uh, uh, there are some other people we'd worked with who were really abrasive salespeople. Like if you met them, you'd be like, this guy is like feels like a used car salesman. But they're also really they crush their quota every single quarter. And I was talking to him and he goes, you know, you can really push people more than you think you can. Like there's a reason this guy or gal that was crushing their quota, but feels like the stereotypical salesperson is, is getting through is because they're pushing people when others kind of hold back. And so there are definitely the people who are going to respond to them and say, don't ever contact me again. I never want to interact with somebody like you, but the other 90% of the people are actually going to, it's going to work. So there's uh that chutzpah you were talking about is like, it can be valuable to just push people a little bit more than you think you should. You know, I do it a lot with, with folks. I'm uh, going, getting down the road with on deals, where I'm happy to just cut the deal off and say, look, you told me this is a priority. You're not getting back to me. It sounds like it's not like, should we cut this off? And some people might feel like, wow, you're kind of pushing a little bit, but it's, you could definitely go even further with that. And the person's, you're not going to really turn them off. It's, you can go further than you think is kind of what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. And and so, and it comes from a place like that belief that you have. I mean, you literally sat down, you identified a problem, you built the the solution yourself Uh and now you're selling it and you've got kids, you know, and (laughs) and a wife and a mortgage and all these things. And, you know, you've got the conviction that you can help them to solve a problem with a quality product. And so it's just like, look, Let's do this. Like, come on. Like (laughs) versus if, you know, literally like if you're, if you're listening to this and you're on the fence about your product and you're not real super
0: confident about your own self and, you know, it it becomes harder to do that. Yeah. And I mean, there are definitely downs. Like people that you thought you had in the bag to say, look, we're going to go in a different direction. It's like, I got to rethink this entire process. Am I doing the right thing? What's going on? And so, I mean, it's, it feels very like the highs are high and the lows are low, but those highs definitely make up for those lows. So it's one of the most satisfying things to, to be like, I built a product from scratch. I coded it myself. I reached out to somebody and they're putting pen to paper and they're going to hand me a check for this money. Like it's as a sales rep, you only get to see a portion of that as a developer. You only get to see a portion of that. But when you're a founder and bootstrapping it on your own, I'm sure for you, it's really satisfying when you can convince somebody that, look, I have a solution that can help solve your problem. And then you deliver on it is a really satisfying thing.
2: It was amazing. I mean, well, uh, so I was like the conference, I was a little bit stressed out because (laughs) I was trying to put out all these fires, but just to have people come together and then come back to me and say, Hey, that was a great use of our time. We got some value out of it. Great, great, great feeling. So, all right. Well, Kyle, dude, this has been amazing. We're coming up against the hour. I think we should do round two for sure, because you've (laughs) got a lot of great information and we hardly went into, you know, all the stuff we were going to talk about, but I really appreciate it. I know the listeners will. SIF Data sounds amazing. How do we get in touch with you so that we can start cutting back on some of this research time?
0: Yeah, so Kyle at SIFData.com, or if you go on to SIFData, Data, there's gonna be a drift thing that pops open. Feel free to chat yeah. it and I'll get back to you right away. So you're on
2: it twenty four seven. All the time. And and it's, it's, it's um I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's SIF Data dot com. Got it. Okay. Yep. Got it. All right, Kyle. Well, thanks again, and thanks for being on the Sales Development Podcast. Thanks,
1: David. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development, with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10Bound.com.